0: you're listening to addicted to growth join us each week as you sit down with sales marketing and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation new insights new playbooks new tech new lessons step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Addicted to Growth. Kevin and I are super excited to have on the founder and principal at JD2 Consulting, Jeff Davis. He is an author, a speaker, consultant, recently um, is getting, excuse me, he's getting ready to release the uh, audio versions of his book create togetherness this and there's a, there's a whole lot of other amazing things that we're going to chat about today but uh but first
1: uh welcome to the show Jeff. Welcome welcome welcome. Thank you for having me. Super excited to to be with you guys.
0: Of course, of course. We're super excited to have you. And and would you mind just sharing with everyone a quick little uh snippet about your background, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you are today?
1: That's a long story. Uh I'll try to give I'll try quick. To give the short version. <laughs> uh, so uh, I So actually my undergrad's actually engineering, which I think it informs the fact that I'm super process oriented. So started my career in the sales side of the house, uh, was in healthcare sales for many, many years. Um, we had a, a bunch of regulation shifts, which basically put me in a weird situation. I had been at the top of the heap, so to say, on uh, the top 5% of the sales force, did really, really well, had all these strategies and tactics and stuff that I thought was cool. Overnight, I was like, this doesn't work. Uh, and I did what every salesperson does. I did more. I did more emails, phone calls. I began stalking. My client in the parking lot. Yes, I was that dude. And realized <laughs> that after a couple quarters, I was like, this is getting no better and I'm exhausted. Um, so I had a serendipitous meeting with our director of marketing at the time. And that's when the light bulb went off when he explained to, to me or to our, our team, I should say, what they were doing on the marketing side of the house to help us sell more efficiently and effectively. And that's when I got it. I go, oh, so marketing isn't just justifying the fact that they get paid over 100K. There's actually a way as a salesperson I can leverage them to help me sell uh, more effectively, more efficiently. And then fast forward, went back, got my MBA in marketing because I was like, I'm going to selfishly get up to corporate, advocate for salespeople and be like, you don't know what they need, but I do. Um, which is why I got my MBA in marketing. That's a long story. We'll talk about that too. Uh, but fast forward today, the work I do today is, is all goes back to that, right? My, my goal and, and what my aim is, is to help B2B sales and marketing leaders as well as CEOs be able to strategically align sales and marketing so they can opt, they optimize revenue growth. Uh, and I know we'll get you know, more into it in our conversation, but at, back then it was a nice to have. Some companies didn't even recognize it. At this state of the game where we are moving forward, it is a absolute must. It's table stakes. It's not an option anymore. Uh, and so that's what I get to do every day is helping people optimize revenue and, and build relationships across the sales and marketing divide. How was that? That was, that I, was amazing. I, I. <laughs> that was off the cuff too. Wow.
0: That was good. <laughs> that yeah, man. I'm, I'm over here. I'm already like, oh man, where do we go cuz I'm I, I'm I really love the fact that you were just like, yeah, let me go ahead and and, and get this marketing degree and, and teach everyone from I have the background in sales. Now I know marketing. Now I'm going to, you know, take that all the way through organizations. Yeah, part of it, it's crazy. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, that's crazy. it's insane that you
1: just was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this and then you did it. But go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, and, and, I, and it may not sound like the best reason to go back to business school, but I was really frustrated and I said, but I don't have the language or the knowledge or the expertise or insight to be able to communicate effectively what I mean from a sales perspective. I had an idea of what I was trying to say, but the reality, I was, uh, I was in the field, I was a salesperson and I just didn't have the visibility. So that is why I said, well, I want to understand this marketing thing before I, you know, am all up in arms and saying, like this doesn't work and you're not doing your job. Because I was like, I don't think that's the answer. And, you know, I learned so much um, going back and in, in, in getting the fundamentals of marketing and becoming a marketing marketer afterwards, that not only did I, in fact, get to advocate for salespeople, it made me a better marketer.
2: I think it's really interesting that you had the sales experience. Um, so, you know, you, 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 literally, you know, walked, walked that path. You walked in those shoes and then, you know, you, you go over to, you know, you went over to the dark side, you went over to the marketing side. Right. And, uh, but it, I think it's like probably a really interesting journey and really, really, you know, I'm sure you've got a lot of different experiences and stories there, but what, what was like, what do you think is the biggest misconception salespeople
1: have about marketing? Um, there's so many. I would say, to sum it up, is that they don't understand what marketers do. I think everything, you know, when I started my work, I was, I was dead set on that sales and marketing were at war. I have learned since then that that is absolutely not the case. It's a complete lack of empathy, uh, which I have to push back on our, our sales and marketing leaders as well as our, as our CEOs and our executives, that these two departments historically have worked in silos And when you ask them, let's just go ask the salesperson, like, what does marketing do? And they'll tell you, oh, the website or, oh, they make sales content. And those things may be true, but that is not the totality of what marketing does, especially if you have a high performing marketing team. So I think at the end of the day, you don't care about things that don't directly, seemingly don't directly impact you and or that you don't understand. And a lot of marketers, marketing teams, I should say, have historically been really, really bad at selling their value to salespeople kind of terrible. That's interesting.
0: And I think the the other, I guess, question I have on that too is like, what, do, like, if you were to just give a, a high level overview for salespeople that are like, well, what do you mean, Jeff? Like the marketing, that's all they do is make, you know, white papers and, and send us to events. Like, what would you say would be some of those key things that salespeople should look for their marketing teams to be doing? Um, at least ones that are aligned, kind of talking about what success looks like. And then maybe we can talk about some of the things that, uh, you do or stories around how you've helped other companies get there.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a great question in the way that you framed it because let's focus not on what your marketing team is or is not doing, which I like the way that you kind of framed it up is, what are the possibilities? What does great look like? What can they really do in order to make your life easier and hopefully get you to close deals faster? And I think at the end of the day, marketing, you know, a a marketing team that gets it is not about producing leads. Like if your marketing team is still in like, I'm gonna give you MQLs and that's it. And once we hand those over, we're done. We're in a tough spot, right? Marketing's job really is to set the stage and create a marketplace where people understand the value of your product. It is getting out, getting you access and getting you in front of not only the types of accounts that you need to talk to, but also the key stakeholders that you as salespeople want to talk to and having a narrative where by time that they get to you, you are, you, can, you are able to personalize that, make a one-to-one human connection, understand uniquely what that person, that key stakeholder in that business needs, and then close the business. You know, I, I go back to the, the old school fundamental definition of marketing versus sales. Marketing is one to many and sales is one to one. Sales is always a one-to-one game. And, and at the end of the day, what sales people and sales teams have to realize, you will never be able to have the reach that a marketing team has. I'm able to push out content that reaches thousands of people. And as a sales leader, your job is to make sure that what I'm pushing out to those people is, the, is, is starting the right conversation so that your salespeople within your team can pull that through.
0: You got my brain thinking a lot because I'm like, hmm. That's either getting, a good thing or a bad thing. No, no, no. That's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so when you said getting you in front of the types of accounts you want to talk with and the key stakeholders that, we'll be making decisions. Like, what are some, cause like, again, most salespeople people are like, well, I'm the one doing all the content marketing. I'm the one on LinkedIn making relationships with these buyers in the streets. Like how's marketing supposed to even help me there. Right. And if if I heard you correctly, it sounds like marketing's job is to kind of set the stage to make sure that when sales does go out and tries to attract clients, whether it be on LinkedIn through email, uh, any other sort of medium phone calls that they're prepared and they have the right messaging and positioning for what to say and how to say it to get the accounts that matter the most, you know,
1: aware and interested in their products. Is that accurate? Yes. And I would add to that. It's more than just brand because historically salespeople think of marketing as building a brand, right? And building a brand is a component of it. And we want visibility and that obviously always helps. But if that brand that you're establishing does not have any, Uh, value attached to it or unique um, solution that it's providing, then it is really kind of worthless that, you know, you're building a brand. And so what I see with less mature marketing organizations, they're more focused on just top of funnel awareness and getting out there to as many people as possible. Right. So I'm notorious. If you've ever worked with me, whether it be a client or we've worked together, you, you always know that I'm always saying, so why are we doing this? Like it's just, I should have a t-shirt that says like, why are we doing this? Because you have historically before, you know, obviously what we're going through now, we're doing trade shows. I'm not necessarily saying trade shows are bad. They're very, they're industries. You know, I've worked with trucking logistics. Trade shows is very much a part of their business model, right? That's just how they communicate. I always ask, who are we trying to talk to and are they here? And if they're not here, why are we here? Because ROI is not there. So it's, it's taking one step further to not only build a brand, but make sure that brand is getting in front of the right types of accounts and that we have a very crystal clear message about, about around why they should care. I'm not just building a brand to build a brand. And really it's not really building a brand, it's just raising awareness that we exist, which is not the same thing. Ah,
0: uh, that's interesting because that my my brain is like okay now now my my next question is what are some of the ways that you found marketers and and like companies are getting in front of the accounts that matter the most to them like because I think that's that's definitely shifted over a lot and asking you know why we're doing this who we're trying to talk to are they where we're at like what are some I feel like you've got some crazy stories around how you've you've connected with some accounts.
1: Well, I think what we're seeing, the the, the the companies that are getting it right are stopping and asking questions. We get so mirrored in like what we have done historically, and in many organizations, especially those that are slow to change, just are copying and pasting what they did 5, 10, 20 years ago. And I I always, anytime I work with a new client, like I've got to disrupt and we've got to, and I'm not saying it's wrong, we have to evaluate if what we did yesterday is applicable today. Take COVID, for instance, like if you were doing the exact same thing you did pre-COVID, I would ask you like, is that still relevant? Is it as relevant? And many companies get so you know, caught up in the minutia of things is that we don't take the time to go back and look at what types of accounts are driving the most ROI. Here's an example. I had a client uh, and they were struggling with um, stagnant growth. And so it was really was like, you know, what do we need to do that they were operating in in multiple um, industries and that sort of thing. And I won't bore you with all the details, but, you know, as I kind of stepped back, I said, well, let's look at each type of vertical that you're selling into and determine who's driving the most ROI. They were so focused on pure volume, which most people get caught up in, that I said, well, but I want to ask a different question. I want to say, who is driving the most business for the effort that we're getting, that we're putting out there? And what we found is they had an industry that, although the volume wasn't as high as their highest, that their return on investment was like three, four, five times. So what we can do then is we can reallocate those resources that we put into our highest volume industry, because we're probably going to get that money anyway, Right and really blow out this other industry. And so if you don't take the time to step back and say, who's driving, who's driving the most return and really dig into the data, you won't know that. And you'll continue to do the same thing with marginal gains. It's like, yeah, you're going to get revenue, but what if I take 10% of the, the effort that I'm putting into that industry and put it somewhere else? I mean, my returns are going to be outrageous. And so that's what I'm talking about, optimization, versus just put, pumping the gas and going and getting marginal returns. So, you know, we, we
2: we kind of talked about looking at uh, alignment and, and organizational setup where it's like, look, this is, this is working exceptionally well. From your perspective, Jeff, do you think, where do you think most organizations fall? Like on which end of the spectrum, do you think it's sort of like this normal bell curve where, you know, a third are, are pretty poor, a third are somewhere in the middle and a third are, are great? Like what, what does that sort of
1: distribution uh, look like? When it comes purely to having an aligned sales and marketing uh, yeah. team, that's a great question. Um, I would say majority of organizations don't do this well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. It, it, people think that, you know, we're going to align sales and marketing. We're going to go to a workshop and then boom next week we're going to be aligned. Like that is not what I'm talking about. Um, this is a true business transformation that takes a lot of stakeholders to agree to, to take on this effort. And we have to change behaviors. We have to change heart and mind. So it takes time and it takes resources. So I, I would argue all organizations have some, some level of misalignment between sales and marketing, but I think way too many, especially in B2B, are still, you know, at the beginning of stages of just recognizing that this is serious enough issue that they need to take seriously.
2: Yeah, no, I I would totally agree with that. And with the, with the organizations that you would sort of, you'd qualify or or categorize as best in class when it comes to this alignment, what are some of the, what are some of the, the, the themes or the commonalities between these organizations?
1: Um, I well, I think it goes back to my three pillars of alignment, alignment transformation that I talk about in the book, um, and part of that was built out of looking at what's not working, and then also looking, examining companies that would be considered best in class. And so there's three pillars that you know, most organizations that are really performing well are doing extremely well, uh, and the three pillars are data, process, and communication. And so let me tell you what that looks like. So most top performing organizations that have what I like to call an aligned revenue engine share data across both sales and marketing. So they're not operating in two data silos because the reality of things is you can't understand what's going on with the customer if sales has one set of data and marketing has another set of data. I had actually a CEO on the the podcast and I asked him what was the reason for um, starting this company. He started a a tech company, an AI tech company. and I can't tell you who it is. But, um, But he was like, because I would sit in the board meeting as a ceo and sales would come in for the quarterly review and they would be like no i'm sorry marketing would come in first and like oh my god everything's amazing we have all of these facebook likes and 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 we've got like the traffic to the website is quadrupled and we're and we have ten thousand mqls everything's amazing the world is great we're all gonna make (laughs) bonus and then he's like and then like two seconds later sales would come in and be like this is terrible. Like we can't get to what we want to get to, you know, X, Y, Z. And he's like, wait. He goes, wait a second. How can you guys have two different stories, and you essentially are focused on the same thing, which is generating revenue? He doesn't make sense. So first and foremost, those that are doing it right understand that they have to align the data across the silos uh, in order for us to have one single source of truth. So we understand what's actually going on, what the what the real world says. The second one is they develop an end-to-end process where they able to step back for two seconds and actually see the entire customer's journey. So I am a huge advocate for uh, mapping out the buyer's journey. I think it not only helps you get into the psychology of your buyer, but it also helps you be able to see where you need to optimize. Because what happens is as a marketing leader, if I don't understand how I've directly impact you, I'm just worried about my MQLs and then I throw them over the fence and then that's it. I have no interest in really understanding how those convert, what does that look like, et cetera. And then the third one around communication, um, they're able to tap into what I like to call tribal knowledge and that they're continuously sharing business intelligence uh, from marketing to sales and sales to marketing. I always tell my marketing leadership, I was like, let me tell you something, sales, best, freest market research in the world. If you're not tapping into that, it is a is a really, really missed opportunity. And so not only are they doing that, um, but they're doing it on a regular basis. So it's really having a established feedback loop, you know, whether that be weekly, monthly, quarterly, where you are reviewing the the pipeline and really having a growth team meeting versus just having ad hoc meetings. So those are the three, data, process, communication, for those kind of predictors of you being able to successfully achieve this transformation.
2: Yeah, I think it's so true. And I think the... uh... (laughs) especially the data piece. I think that's the foundational piece because when you start, I mean, the, the story you told is so spot on, you know, marketing is saying that, you yeah. <laughs> know, things are great. We're going to, we're going to crush goal. Sales has the complete opposite story. And, and it, unless you're, you're looking at the same data, you're speaking the same language, you it's, it's impossible to be aligned. So I, I love that that's kind of the, the foundation of, of where, you know, where, where it all begins. Um, I know, I know in the book as well, you you talk a bit about the cost of inaction, right? So I think a lot of the times when you talk about account-based marketing and sales and marketing alignment, you see case studies, it's like, oh, 400% return on this, or, you know, and it's like all these, these stats of what happens when you start to do this, but, but you actually talk about the cost of doing nothing and remaining the same. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that if you could elaborate.
1: Yeah, and I think you know this is still evolving, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of people have not uh, bought in, so to say, to sales and marketing alignment is that they, we have we've struggled historically to help senior leadership understand what's a price tag on if we do nothing. We were so focused on opportunities, which I think are great, right? But if you're really trying to get somebody to change a behavior that they've done forever, you've gotta say, you've gotta do more than saying, like, here is the opportunity that that exists. We gotta say, if we don't do anything, here's what we're losing. And we're at that point now. And so um, uh, in the book, I talk about a study that was done by Marketo and ReachForce, where they actually estimate um, that lost sales productivity and mar- wasted marketing spend uh, can cost a company up to $1 trillion. Now, that number sounds outrageous and it is outrageous. But here is what I think is interesting about that study is that they really illuminate the fact that people are not thinking about lost sales productivity. They're focused on missed deals, which could, you know, a little is a little amorphous. But think about you have a salesperson that you pay a lot of money to. We now have also have data that inside sales.com, which is now Zant, uh, they did that, you know, about a third of salespeople's time is actually spent on selling. And on top of that, we now have data that upwards of 80 to 90% of marketing generated leads don't even get looked at by sales. So you're paying highly paid marketing people, highly paid salespeople, salespeople aren't really selling. They're doing other stuff. Marketing's done a ton of work to throw leads at them that they're not looking at. All of that together, that is what the cost of inaction is. And it's extremely expensive. Actually, IDC has data that makes it a little bit easier. They estimate that about, you can estimate about 10% of revenue is lost purely due to sales and marketing misalignment. So these are big numbers and, and the issue that we've had and historically it's been challenging to get people to, to buy in or to really understand. It's kind of like a leaky bucket. I'm sorry, a leaky boat, right? People see it and there's water kind of coming in, but they're like, well, let's just get the water out. Let's not focus on fixing the, the hole. Let's just get the water out. And that worked for a while, right? Like we're still able to, we're still buoyant. We're still cool. The hole might get a little bit bigger, People are like, ah, but it's okay. We'll just get a bigger bucket and get the water out. And eventually it gets to a point where you're like, we're taking on water and one of two things happens. Most people just bail and they get out. They get out of the boat and they go to another boat. Or we have to like do like this crazy thing where we got to go get a new boat. And then at that point it's too late. And so it really seriously is like, it is like a cancer that eats at the core of your business that is kind of like a silent killer. So really it's about we've got to get more efficient and effective at our sales processes and the things that we're doing because that's what's really killing the business from the inside. And then not only that, from just a pure financial standpoint, we've also got to look at the cultural aspect of misalignment between sales and marketing has huge implications to uh, building mistrust between the two teams. We know that teams that don't trust each other don't perform very well. So there's a whole cultural side of the business um, that we, I'm sorry, uh, side effect of misalignment that a lot of people are not even t- not talking about as well. Can you have highly effective teams? Do you have people that innately, uh, you know, don't trust each other, have misaligned goals and objectives. All those things breed out of the fact that we uh, have misalignment between the two teams. So that's the cost of inaction. Yeah, that, so that
0: story, Jeff, you, you literally had me imagining a bunch of salespeople with like plastic cups inside of a boat, like just, ah, ah, hey, can can you come help? Ah, and meanwhile, they're all drowning and, and they should actually just plug the hole, right? And like, here you come in, you're like, oh, y'all don't see the hole. It's like this big that we just put a cork in and it's fixed. Yep. And... Yep. I I was just laughing in my
1: head. Well, not
0: in my head. I actually was figuratively laughing. I just was on mute,
1: but, (laughs) um, but that's what a lot of us are doing because no one (laughs) wants to deal with the core issue because it's easier to just get the cup and put the water out and be like, oh, I did my job. We're good.
0: Yeah. And and so it's interesting too, that you talked about the challenges to get buy-in, right? Like a trillion dollars in lost revenue, 80 to 90% of the leads that are passed or the opportunities or the value, not even putting leads on this, but the value that marketing is creating is in their eyes, it's not actually helping the salespeople. And so like, how have you been able to kind of help companies understand this law, the, the value of, you know, sales and marketing alignment. Cause it's, it's not something you can tangibly see, right? Like people, like for example, content marketing, you spend X amount of dollars on four pieces of content. It generates X amount of awareness and opportunities potentially. Like that's easy for companies to see because it's, a, it's a typical, you know, piece of expenses. Right. right. But when you're talking sales and marketing alignment, you, there's not a, a a spreadsheet that you can put that in to to find the answer. So, like, could you talk a little bit about that? I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So you have to change the change the, the way that we frame it, right? And so I, I start to help these leaders understand that uh, sales and marketing alignment is all about increasing your productivity and effectiveness. And we too we too often get so focused on just volume. We need more leads. We need more opportunities. Well, here's the thing: if you get all of those leads and opportunities, but they're converting at a really terrible rate are you really doing what you need to do you're wasting actually a lot of time money and resources i'd rather have a i'd rather have less opportunities in my pipeline that have a higher conversion rate than 5x 10x opportunities in my pipeline that have a really terrible conversion rate so we just it's about getting better at what we do the pray and spray method we used to do back in the day does not work anymore it is outdated yes it used to work back in the day i get it let it go it's dead and here's why the sales i'm I'm sorry the buyer seller relationship has changed and many companies have not recognized this we are still trying to sell to people the way that we did five, 10 years ago. And it's not relevant because guess what? Digital disruption completely blew that up. And here's why. Information inequality. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So information inequality, not new, but historically we owned the information. So an example I use in my keynotes is buying a car. Perfect example of the transformation in that industry. What do we do back in the day? Uh, and I may be aging myself a little bit, but whatever. Uh, you, you had an idea that you needed a car. You went to the lot. You might have an idea of what you want to spend, but you're like, show me around. So the salesperson's like, Oh, I'm going to lead you to the car. That's going to make me the most commission. Next phase of that consumer reports comes out. All of a sudden now as a consumer, I have all this data. So you can't bully me on the parking lot anymore because I'm coming armed with Pretty much an idea of what model I want, why I want it and what I'm going to spend. So then you have to focus on creating a really great customer experience, making me really excited about, you know, being, you know, enjoying working with you because I don't necessarily need you to tell me exactly what car I want. Or you can guide me and help me and be like, well, why are you thinking that, et cetera. But you got to do more than just talk about features and benefits. Doesn't work anymore. Then the next digital disruption in that industry is then what? Carvana. I don't even need you at all now. I can buy it online, right? And so as B2B practitioners, we have to recognize that if you are still talking about features and benefits to buyers, you are way, way behind. They already found all that on the internet. They found it on your site, they found it on other sites like G2 Crowd. I have all that information. So you've got to come to me differently. And that's why we have Scott to start looking at different metrics and not just focus on pure volume of leads, volume of opportunities, volume of MQOs. not saying they have no relevance, I'm just saying they're not the primary anymore. It's about getting more effective and getting more productive at what we do.
0: And this is interesting because I'm going to throw a crazy question out here. Like if SDR, for example, has goal of generating, let's say $2 million in, in, in revenue for the year. Like that's how much pipeline he owns. That's what it is. And SDR only needs four round tables across four different quarters to get all the qualified opportunities. Kevin, you're a sales leader. If SDR gets all 10 of your target accounts, 40 total accounts in that pipeline and has no more things to do as far as activities go, like how does that look from like a, a role perspective, because I, I've i always found it interesting that like when you start to realize like, oh, I can, you know, host conversations and I can get all of my ideal buyers in the same room at the same time. Like I don't have to go make a hundred calls or have these relationships. I can narrate the conversations, get the information and like move people through the process in groups. And like, how, how, do, how would that affect, I'd love to hear both your thoughts on this. Cause I'm like, all right, well, yeah, your sales leader, yeah, your SDR is not going to be working 40 hours. They're just going to be focused on making those four engagements the best they possibly can. That's just... You know
2: what, though? I think I think that's the... the those are the types of efficiencies that, that Jeff's referring to, right? So instead of needing an army of 50 SDRs, right, to bang out all of these phone calls right? All of these emails just be, you know, taking the old school approach of just, just banging the phones and sending out, you know, the same email. It's, it's a much more of, it's a different approach. It's a personalized approach, but if, if you can do one thing that's going to yield greater results, instead of having 50 SDRs, you have five and, and, from a work capacity perspective, they, they're, you know, like their, their time is full, they're busy, but they're doing the, and, and I think that's where it's like the metrics, right? They're doing the activities that are leading to results. Me personally, if it took me wearing a dress to drive results, I would do it. Like I don't, I, I tell it to my team all the time. Like <laughs> I do not care what it takes, whether, and maybe your thing is like just plowing through working really hard and making a lot of calls, and a lot of emails. Maybe that's your thing. But I, but I think that the, the legacy metrics of, of what people track are less important and just doing the things that are driving results is more important.
1: Yeah. And I want to be really clear, you know, coming from a sales background, I get sales leaders all the time, especially, you know, now that I've been on both sides of the fence and in some instances, I, you know, I, I skew marketing and talk about marketing. I am not advocating for salespeople not to do The work, right? Because a lot of sales leaders say, "Oh, I don't want you. I don't want my people to use marketing as excuse." And I said, "That's not no, no, no. That's not what I said. I'm not even advocating that cold calling's dead. Like those are all tools in the toolkit, right? What I'm saying is that I need us to huddle to figure out what's the most effective way to move forward. And as a sales leader, I would focus. This is just my personal opinion, maybe supported by data, on scaling up (laughs) my people." and making them more productive, than hiring five, 10, 20 more that I've got now on board, get them just up to performance, take the ones you have, skill them up first, make them more productive. It's a lot, the economics just work out much better.
2: And what it's going to end up doing as well is for those individuals, you're going to have a much, I think that's one of the things that'll give people a bit more purpose in the roles, a bit more, um, there's a much greater impact than what they're doing. And I think that's one of the things, you know, to your point, Jeff, it's like, don't, don't continue just to hire and throw quota at the problem to try and grow really in investing in your people and, and showcasing that growth. That's, what's going to keep people around for a long time. That's what's, that's one of the things that will break this super short tenure. We have of, of sales reps of like the 12 to 15 to 18
1: months. I, I would right? agree. I would agree with you. Big yeah. time.
0: And also just like one thing to add too, like, just think about it from like, a, I, I'm sure you've both heard people talk about the, the you know, high school party strategy, right? Like you wanna be the person that's the cool kid in your target market and you have the best events, you create the best experiences and everybody wants to know you in whatever industry you're in. Regardless of what company you're at, it, all the skills of of building a community around your ideal buyer, giving them value, like all those skills are transferable all throughout your career, right? And so if you just think about it kind of very small, like, oh, how can I create micro communities in whatever industry or area that I'm in to then drive results that I could also, A, keep with me and, and have those relationships after I'm not in this role anymore, but then B, like, how can this fuel long-term growth and kind of like changing and evolving the way that, um, you know, SDRs typically have done their job. I think it's, it's just a fascinating thought that, um, you gave me, Jeff. So appreciate you for, for sparking that. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Jeff,
2: I have a question for you. So we, we talked a bit about the, the buyer experiences is, is changing. Um, and, and you use some car buying, right? You use some consumer-driven analogies. And I, I do think that there's always these trends that B2B is just five, 10 years behind what, what's happening in the B2C space. Is there any tre- trends in the B2C space that you're seeing right now that B2B marketers are picking up uh, and finding
1: tons of value or, or driving results? Yeah, and, and you're dead on with the, the five to 10 years out. So I think that you know forward-thinking yes. B2B leaders can, <laughs> can uh, look at B to C to, to kind of preempt and see what they can pull over. So the, the the first thing that you that popped in my mind when you asked that question was kind of this uh, what they call omni channel approach, um, which I think that more and more B two B folks are taking advantage of the fact that we we need to be consistently across all platforms. Uh, I did a workshop where I talked to to marketing leaders about um, this is what I like to call legacy industry. So hopefully hopefully that doesn't spend anybody, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give the definition of what that means so that I get hate mail. Um, but <laughs> they should they should know what that means, Jeff. Yeah, we're much that <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> we'll leave that there. Um, but just being focused purely on the branded website. And I said, that's great that you have an amazing branded website. But I said, let's just take uh, this example. How do people buy, whether it be B2C or B2B? What is the first, what is the very first step? And I'll ask you that question.
0: Everyone doesn't go to Instagram and just scroll and hope that they give them the right ads.
1: <laughs> that would be no. All right. So
0: now nah, I, I usually go to Google or I, I um, go to you. i talk to friends. Impressive. I'll talk nope. to friends, family, someone who,
2: who I know hmm. like knows the, the space or knows something.
1: So either of those are are, 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 great answers. Right. But at no point did you say I'm going to brand.com. Right. It's just not, not happening. Right. So it, we start our, we start our search literally our quest to buy something via search. Uh, and so for you to be investing all of your resources in driving people to a branded website. You know, I actually use an example in the, in the book where I talk about, you know, if your roof is leaking, I'm not going to Jeff Davis roofing company. If I don't know that dude, unless I have a prior relationship to him, I'm putting in best roof roofing in my zip code, best roofing in Chicago, whatever, which is a search. So Yes, the website is great, but if that's the only place that you are, it's a missed opportunity. I got you. You, we're at a point now where, as a marketer, your job is to take an omni-channel approach. That your marketing message and your value, prop, and all that stuff is everywhere. Because if you're not there, somebody is there for you, and they are, and they are, um, shaping the, the perception of your message potentially. So, you know, third-party websites, all of these other forums, you know, but publications where people, um, you know, get their trusted information, you got to be there. And and it doesn't start with the branded website. So.
0: Sorry, Kev. I'm like, I got, I love this because one of the things that we talked about in a previous episode, um, and that's a consistent theme is, is the question of how do you become in a, a habitual resource for people to turn to when they ask specific types of questions. So for, I'll give you an example. If you're thinking, oh man, like I'm a marketer. I really want to understand how other B2B marketers are, 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 are navigating right now. Like what, what where, where would I go to get consistent information on that? And it's like, oh, like, yeah. Jeff has a podcast. He talks about, you know, sales and marketing alignment every single week with a new guest. Right. Oh, he also has blog posts and has like little templates and guides and workshops for me. This is great. I can get everything I need from Jeff every week
1: and I know he'll always be there. Like, and and that's a paradigm shift that we have to have is that, you know, they, and the, 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 the data has changed, especially on the sales side, but you know, they estimate that, you know, we'll say over half close to this. It's, it, between 50 and 75%, there's contention on what this number is of the buyer's journey is over before they reach out to the vendor, aka sales, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some people say it's 50, some people say it's 75, whatever, we'll just go somewhere in between there. But what I, what I argue, and I actually wrote an article for LinkedIn and I said, you know, we're so focused on cramming everything at the very end, you know, pushing emails and pushing phone calls and all that kind of stuff. I said... What about the other part, the early part where they're setting the vision and trying to figure out what, what the problem really is? Companies that are, that are winning, they're going upstream and they're saying, we're going to get to you before you even get to the decision-making uh, part of the sales funnel or the buyer's journey. We want to influence and help you understand what your problem is and we want to be your guide or trusted partner throughout this process so that more often than not, you're going to choose us as your partner to actually deliver this, this product or service. And that's where the partnership between marketing and sales comes in, because as a sales leader, I want my marketing colleague way upstream. Talking about, to your point, Travis, about you know, putting content out there to answer questions, having you know, interactions where people you know, of like-minded uh, or like-minded folks that have the same situations can talk through things, get answers, maybe connecting current customers with prospective customers, all that stuff. That, that's marketing, historically marketing activities, not saying sales can't be involved. But that is, that's where you're driving a ton of value instead of waiting to the very end and trying to cram stuff on people at the eleven hour.
2: Yeah, and then, it, then, then it's just, who can undercut the price the most, right?
1: Well, it's just like walking to somebody up on the street and be like, hey, you want to get married? I know yeah. you just at me. But I'm yeah. a really good guy. You should marry me. <laughs> Honestly, shoot, I look, just at the, shoot. look at the suit, <laughs> look at the shoes. I got a great haircut. Well, I don't have hair, but uh, everything's, everything's shining and great. Just put a ring on it yeah that's what we're doing yeah. and then we're wondering why people are like uh no
2: yeah then then the yeah, then the back on the churn
1: is uh is atrocious, so right they get on for whatever reason to your point you've undercut costs, and then your churn rate's terrible, and then again, we go back to leaky bucket leaky leaky boat syndrome so i i I've got
2: I mean, I could ask you a ton of questions, I'm sure. But I, being with with your background of both the sales and marketing, um, I know a lot of people have different feelings towards, you know, where does the SDR organization lie? Should, should SDRs roll into marketing? Should SDRs roll into sales? I would love to hear your take on it.
1: So, I can't take credit for this, but I continue to echo, because I agree, uh, Trish Bertuzzi's answer on my podcast, because I asked her the exact same question. I wanted her perspective because she's the queen of inside tales. That's and right. she, she was really blunt, but there she is. She said, I don't care. And I said, Well, what do you mean? She said, Well, there's two things that I care about. I want to know whatever organization is going to support them and really nurture them and in, in being really good SDRs, BDRs. That's first. And then, secondly, what are their, what a majority of their activities? Are they inbound or outbound? So obviously if it's more of an inbound SDR, it's probably most likely going to align well with marketing because it's a skill set that aligns to what marketing leadership is used to. If it's more of an outbound SDR BDR role, it most likely probably should align to sales because it's, it mirrors the activities that sales leaders are used to. Again, to be, it it depends on the organization. Uh, I like kind of those general guidelines, but if you put it under marketing and they, and they don't, support it or don't know how to support it and just don't have an interest to, then don't put them over there because they're not going to do well.
0: I like that. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like what we talked about, Kev. It's like they're a utility player where the, the team and the organization needs you and kind of where, based off of, to Jeff's point about the uh, different ways that every single company is unique, like it, it's, it depends. I, I, I definitely agree with that and I like it.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I love, I love, I love Oh, Kevin at
0: the hour mark. You can never get past it, bro. Never. Jeff, literally every podcast, once you hit like 50 minutes, and I'm pretty sure I have like seven recordings of me doing this, yeah. Kevin's <laughs> mic always messes up. It's a ghost in the machine. It's something. It's something. Um,
2: no, but you know, <laughs> I, I I love the answer because I think it's it is. It's totally dependent on Cause it seems like most organizations SDRs get very little um, resource when it comes to L and D and support and training uh, and proper coaching. And mean so people
0: don't pour thousands of dollars wh- wh-
2: <laughs> wherever they can No, but I think that's the right answer is, is it doesn't matter. It, it matters where they're going to get the best coaching and support. So I, yeah. I love, I haven't heard that answer before and I, I love it. So thank you for bringing that to the, the table here. Kudos to Trish. I keep using it. Cause I was like, that's it.
0: I agree. I love it. I love the shout out. I love that. And and, and as we're wrapping up here too, I, I know one of the things you kind of chatted about quickly and I wanted to make sure we touched on it is, is I'm, a, I'm a big thinker or I like to think, right? So one of the things I love doing is making parallels between a couple of different segments in the market so people can kind of get how... Things can be adapted, shifted, also moved from, you know, enterprise to mid market to SMB to even, you know, early stage pre seed sort of companies. And so I'd love to get your take, Jeff, on how the sales and marketing alignment, uh, I guess, conversation either changes or differs based off of the markets that you've been working with, if you can talk to that
1: yeah absolutely so it's it's interesting so we are in the process of launching a whole new digital community specifically for small business owners entrepreneurs smb um, that mirrors a lot of the work that we do at the mid-market enterprise because what i recognize is obviously with everything going on um this thought process and this way of thinking of building a revenue engine and aligned system, completely makes sense in that space and and I would almost argue or i could I could argue that it's even more imperative because stereotypically you have less people you don 't have a whole sales or marketing team. it may be one or two people uh, and what what's what sparked me to 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 build out this community is that I in the past have done some work with the sba and and score. Helping entrepreneurs and helping small business owners stereotypically around like positioning and that sort of thing, and what I recognize every single time I interact with these folks is that they were they were very um, they were very focused on one particular aspect of the sales process. It was very tough for them to envision the entire. Buyer's journey, And so as I kind of reflected on, you know, what everything that's going on and how I could leverage my insights, expertise, experience, I said, I want to repackage this for small business owners so that we can help them think through how they build a small business revenue engine. And it's based on the same premises of, you know, as a solopreneur or a small business, how can you develop a process, you know, all the way from that first touch of marketing content or collateral, all the way to close. That is consistent and, and many times automated still so to, to get that burden off of you because more often than not what I find and i 've experienced as, you know as a small business owner, you spend so much time working in your business it's tough to get out and work on your business and so the whole intent of our community is to help you work on your business and be able to set up processes in order to be able to alleviate that so you can focus on growth because I, I believe that majority of small businesses that that don't achieve scale and growth is because they can't get out of a vicious cycle of only working in the business. They don't have the time to work on the business. So uh, we're launching that in the the coming weeks. It's called Rethink Small Business. And so a lot of the concepts that I talk about in the book and Create Togetherness, I have modified and made appropriate for a small business owner.
0: I love that. And it sounds like it's it's almost a sort of launching pad, right, For to prepare for growth, even at a later stage. If, you align yourself and you have this SMB revenue engine operating, you just better prepare yourself to grow and get to that next stage or wherever your victory condition is in your business. I, I, I can, that resonates with me so well because it, I am so
1: living that right now. Yeah. And it's exhausting. <laughs> it is. I've been there. did think I it, created it. it. I'm like, uh, you know, there was a point in my business where I was like, you know, and you, and anybody that's a small business owner, you're doing everything. So, you know, I'm speaking, I'm the face of the business. I'm also trying to build systems I'm trying to, you know, and as a marketer, like I understand that there's things I need to do, but I'm like, when do I have time to do it? But I'm in a place where I can't really justify spending the money to have somebody else do it. But if, I mean, so it's just like this weird in-between place. And I'm just like, I started talking to people and they're like, actually, I'm going through the same thing. So I said, why don't we, build something out that uses these principles to help people be able to think about this differently. Uh, and I will attest that one of the reasons I selfishly built or, or, or building this community and launching it is because there are things that I still need to work on that are just a little small business are, are hard. They're just hard to do. Um, but what I, what I know to be true and I've testament is that you can't just take a workshop on SEO or take a workshop on building click funnels. And then all of a sudden magically have this, this awesome sales process that like really allows you to be able to scale in a meaningful way. There's other stuff that you have to do, and it's you have to take things in totality. Uh, and as a small, you know, one-man shop or SMB, it's it's tough because you have you have more limited resources than a mid-market or enterprise organization
0: dang so i should probably send back my one funnel away challenge book that i just got no 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 no, no no no,
1: no! i didn't i didn't like, like you're not trying to get me no uh-uh i'm not stepping on that i'm not having any lawyers show up on my door i'm just saying we need to attach it to an overall aligned revenue engine that's all i'm saying
0: no, I, yeah, I'm just messing. I hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. Because,
1: hey, but the, the reason I I, I joke, but uh, about that, because you know, I I don't have a problem with that. But many folks I talk to, uh, small business owners especially, uh, I ask them simple like marketing questions about like who's your target customer, uh, what's your positioning. They don't know. So I'm like, that's great that you can scale pushing content and convert that to a sale, but who are you trying to talk to? That's the bigger issue. And if you don't know that, you're just gonna be spinning your wheels. So that's like the foundation work is what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, a thousand percent. And also being someone that came from, you know, mid-market companies and also selling to enterprises, taking all the lessons from my playbooks and like applying them into just a solo market. To your point, all the same principles apply. It's just the the main difference that that I also went through, and I'm not sure if you had the same thing, but like they don't make an outreach for founders. Uh, no, (laughs) there's no sales loft, right? Like, no. So you have to have like your ducks in a row and simple things like, email templates and understanding who your ICP is. It, this all goes back even into mid market companies, because this is what a, a marketing team of one or two are also doing. And so yep. it's just shifting who is consuming and, and using the content. So I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, I lost my mind. When I,
1: I lost my mind when I found out Calendly was a thing. I was like, Oh, this is a game changer. I can just send you directly to my calendar. But, and it's, <laughs> it sounds really simple, but I was like, this going back to the productivity thing, right? Like I'm spending emails back and forth and these are the day I could have been talking to another potential client. They were like, Oh, you want to book a meeting? Great. Calendly. Boom. Next. So, right. so yeah. So we're excited to launch it. Um, we'll, we'll have our launch party. August the second is a uh, planned. We're in beta mode right now. Um, so I can, we can figure out how the shared and the show, the, the show links or however you guys uh, share that stuff. But uh, for those that are interested in that, we would love to have you be a part of the community and help us build this out.
0: I love it. And I guess, unless, Kev, you have any other questions, or Caitlin, if you have anything. Nothing for me, no. This is great. This is really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm just super thankful, Jeff. One, uh, and where can people go to connect with you um, after listening to this?
1: Yeah. So, first of all, thank you all for having me on the show. It was a really good conversation. It was really fun. I, I appreciate you uh, asking some really great questions and, and having some good dialogue. Uh, the easiest way to find me, everything, is at meetjeffdavis.com. Uh, all of my social is also at Meet Jeff Davis, so that's across LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and then our new community is Rethink Small Biz, Biz, as in zebra.com. As I said, we're right now in beta, so if you're interested, sign up. Um, those folks that are in that particular uh, wave will be uh, let on first and have early access. Uh, but those are the the three ways to get in contact with me. And then if you're interested for the the book, Create Togetherness. If you are B two B. Revenue leader, whether it be sales, marketing, or CEO, you can purchase the book at Create. Togethernessbook.com. The I'm sorry, the ebook and the paperback version is available now. The audio book will be available in the coming weeks. We are just on the cusp of launching that as well. So um we don't have really anything to do over here at Team Jeff Davis. We're just super like not busy. Just (laughs) chilling. I was like, whose idea was it to do two launches at the same time? I was like, oh wait, it was mine. Yo's, yo, antennas. excited about it. We're excited about putting out more resources and helping people think this through, especially with everything that's going on.
0: I love it. And and I guess if if you had one last thing to leave people with, what would that message be?
1: Well, I could say create togetherness, but that might be a little cheesy. Um, uh, No, all joking aside, it's just like, we need each other. And, And don't try to do this on your own, whether it be in an enterprise setting or a small business setting trust and believe your productivity and your effectiveness is multiplied when you work with other folks, uh, whether it be in your organization or outside of your organization. And I think that we have proven in the state of disruption that we're in right now, trying to operate a solo, solo by yourself is just not the smartest way to move forward. So um, I will end by saying uh, it all comes down to creating togetherness.
0: I love it, Jeff. Thanks so much for hopping on. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.